inside of you. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, as believers, we don't just get up and do something and, ha- and don't have a hunch about it. But what God does is he puts a substance of faith. He puts the substance of faith deep in our spirits, and, and it keeps nagging on us until we move on it. That's why the Bible teaches us that faith is the substance. It is a substance. Faith is a thing that's not a thing. Faith is a thing that's not a thing. It's the substance of a thing hoped for, the evidence of what you can't see. That's real powerful because evidence is supposed to be something that you can see to help prove something. But the Bible says that faith is a thing. It is substance of a thing that I'm hoping for, and it is the proof to me. At least to me, it's proof. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Your faith is proof to you. It is at least proof to you. Can you see it? No, but, but it's my proof. What is my proof? The substance that is deep inside of me that I can't see, touch, feel, or smell, but I know it's there. That's the power of faith. He said, so we're going to be spending this month talking about the power of faith and moving through faith and, and allowing ourselves to be challenged by Joseph. So this is a faith month, but our series is called The Gospel According to Joseph because I'll be spending the next four weeks talking to you about the ways that God has moved faithfully in Joseph's lives, uh, uh, in Joseph's life over the course of his journey between the time he was called and the time he was exalted. And in that, God is going to show us some things about our lives and our, and our journeys that are germane. So today we're talking about the family. Somebody shout family. Say that again. Say family. Boy, y'all said that like it's 8.40 in the morning. I need you to say it like it's 11.40 in the morning. Shout family. There we go. Boy, that sounded good for a second there. Like we had a little tennis section going. So, all right. So we want to talk about family. And let's get into Joseph's family, a familiar set of scripture that may, ask, uh, that may lead you to, to, uh, to ask some questions about why we chose this set of scripture. But I think that you'll understand it better by and by. Um, uh, uh, we, we are starting at the third verse, and this is what it says. Now, Israel, now Israel is, is Jacob, okay? Uh, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a tunic or a coat of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him, and they could not speak peaceably to him. Now, Joseph had a dream. And he told it to his brothers. And they hated him even more for this. And he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. That there were binding sheaves in the field. And then behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, shall you indeed reign over us? Are you indeed... Uh, or, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And then he dreamt still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down uh, to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him. Somebody shout envied him. 
but his father kept the matter in mind. Now flip over and go to verse 19. Two more verses and we're done. 19. It says, uh, then they said to one another, look, the dreamer is coming. Come therefore and let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say that some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. So we're talking about the gospel according to Joseph. I want you to find three people and I want you to tell them when dreams become nightmares. We come when dreams become nightmares. When dreams become nightmares. All right. All right. Now I want you to find one somebody and I want you to tell them I have faith for my family. Say that again. Say I have faith for my family. Look at them and tell them, don't let your dream become a nightmare concerning your family. Now, Father, in the name of Jesus, I give you the praise. I thank you, God, for the word of God. I pray that over the next few moments that you would send an anointing that makes teaching and preaching simple, that makes receiving the gospel even easier. Father, I pray today that the control would be yours and not that of a man. Father, that the atmosphere would be arrested by your spirit and by your spirit alone. And God, we give you the praise for today. I feel deliverance for families. I feel freedom for families. I feel bonding for families. I see a new determination for families. Today, in the name of Jesus Christ, the word that you are speaking for this hour is to the family. So God, we ask that you would speak with clarity and we ask that you would speak succinctly and we ask that you would speak directly to us that your name might be praised. And it's in your name that we give you the glory. Somebody shout amen. Amen. You may be seated on your, may be seated and smile at somebody. Tell them it's just church. It's okay. It's just church. It's okay. It's just church. Uh, I, I believe this. I believe that God is up to something in families. I believe that, that uh, one of the things that is becoming germane and that, that our generations are coming to the conclusion is that there is not a phenomena that God has placed on earth that is more powerful than the unifying of families. God is interested in families. God anoints families. God has moved through families. And God has not taken his idea away from how he wants to maneuver through families even to this day. So the first family was important to God and your family is important to God. And the church said amen. Uh, you don't have to know them. You don't have to like them. You don't have to always be around them. But the reality about the dynamic and the group that God brought together that is aligned with your blood, God has put an anointing on it. So families are important to God. And we cannot let the breakdown of families make family less important to us because the way community is built, the way God intended for society and civilization to move forward is not through a group of talented individuals, but through the bundles of families that would populate the earth. Family is important. Somebody shout family. This is critical. And family has something bigger in mind for God than just loneliness. God did not just give us family so that we wouldn't be lonely. So we can laugh and we can have somebody to play spades with at the barbecue. God, he had, he had something more in mind when he thought about and he created family. And we're going to learn about that today in a few moments. But first, I want to make sure that you understand the competing processes as it relates to family and as it relates to the way that God intends to talk to families. 
So let's jump into the word real quick, and let's talk about Joseph and his dreams. Joseph was the dreamer. Somebody shout, the dreamer. We know him as the dreamer. But a thousand years or so uh, before, uh, before the, the uh, ancients uh, gave their take on dreams, uh, Sigmund Freud wrote a note or, on dreams uh, called The Interpretation of Dreams in 1899. This was, became a, a, a classic for all psychologists of how they would determine how dreams operated and what, how they could interpret people when they had dreams. The fault of Sigmund Freud was that, uh, at least it, from my perspective, the fault from Sigmund Freud is that he believed that dreams were from the subconscious of man. And when a dream came to man that was meaningful from his subconscious, it revealed something to the man about himself. This is what is perpetuated uh, predominantly in most of our modern psychological literature as it relates to dream interpretation. Is that it emanates from your subconscious, something that is deep inside of you that wants to come out but can't come out. It reveals itself to you in pictures uh, in some form or fashion. And the interpretation should almost invariably be connected to the person that had the dream. It is revealing something deep about myself. This is a modern interpretation of the way dreams should be handled. The far, e uh, the, the Near East, not so, so much the Far East, but the Near East, the Africa, the northern part of Africa, uh, they had a different perspective. A thousand years before Freud, their perspective on dreams was very different. They did not view dreams as being an emanation from a man's subconscious. They viewed dreams as being a message from a deity. And almost invariably, when the deity would give you messages, it would not be about you. It would be about something bigger than you. So when God gave dreams or when a deity in the, in the, the, uh, the Near East, it wasn't always the God we serve, but when they felt like their deity gave, they had dreams, that it was a deity that gave dreams. And this deity was always giving dreams because he intended the dreamer to be an active participant in the larger thing that was going to happen. So we find this being a part of, uh, of, of, of the contemplation of Scripture because in Scripture, they don't take the modern interpretation for dream interpretation. They take the ancient concept of dream interpretation that when a man or a woman has a dream, it was automatically assumed that God was trying to speak to them. And that God not only was trying to speak to them, he was also trying to eventually use them to bless something bigger than themselves. Do you see how our world operates in our modern world from myself about myself? And do you see how God operates from him for everybody else? I'm going to say that again. Do you see how the modern world operates from myself about myself, me, myself, and I? And do, do you understand something, why, this is, why that frame of mind is, is flawed? This frame of thinking uh, that Freud thought to be such an intelligent man, this at the premise is flawed, this idea that it is from myself about myself. If I'm the problem, How do I derive the solution from myself when I am the problem? I wish y'all not, okay. I know, I know you think you got, but, but when you, when there is something that pollutes the water, 
You cannot keep going back to the well of the polluted water hoping that it'll clean itself to get clean water from. And you cannot fix a problem with the same thinking that created the problem. Am I helping anybody? So the idea of dreams was, was something that came from the outside, Bible speaking, that God was now trying to give messages. And the ancients had four uh, basic points of determination for how they determined if a dream came from God or not. Because they didn't take uh, all these dream interpretation tests that we have today. They had four primary determinations. First was viability. Shout viability. Viability is, is the person viable, the person that had the dream. Are they a kook? Are they crazy? Are they, or do they have a decent history? Are they solid human beings? So they, were, they, they would determine if this dream could be taken seriously but based on if the person could be taken seriously. So viability was one point of determination. The second point of determination was veracity. Shout veracity. And uh, did they dream this dream more than once? Was it just an emanation because they had bad food last night? Or did the dream keep coming back to them in more than one way, in different ways? What they were thinking, if the dream would keep occurring, is that the dream, it, it meant that God was trying his best to get you the message. So the idea is that if I am viable, which Joseph was considered a viable person, and, that I was, and, and he had the veracity of heaven, meaning that God was trying to get this message to them in more than one way, then this would be a way that they could determine if these dreams were real. And we see that God spoke to him practically the same thing in two different dreams. The third thing was import. So import is, is there in, an import is just a, an outside person who is imported into the situation to verify that there is that this dream is making some sense. In other words, uh, is there an outside interpreter? Is there somebody that after you tell the dream? God has spoken to them in some kind of way where they can help you interpret the dream. I think this was important because in very few instances was the dreamer allowed to interpret the dream. Very few instances in scripture was the dreamer allowed to have the dream and then tell everybody what it means. Usually the Bible made sure that there was an outside person that could give interpretation of the dream because out of the mouth of two witnesses, the Bible says, let it be established. So you can't just have a dream and get up and say, God said, give me all your money. You can't just have a dream and say, God said, I'm going to heal everybody in this room. Unless somebody else will come and say, by the Spirit, I recognize that God is on you. Well, this becomes interesting because uh, uh, his outside interpreter, interestingly, ended up being his father and his brothers. When he had the dream, they end up interpreting it to him. He said, listen, the she's bowed to me. We're going to bow to you and you're going to be the man standing in the middle? This is, that's the way that, that ended. And then finally, fulfillment. The fourth determination was fulfillment. Uh, does it happen when they dream? Do they have a history and a lineage of dreams? Now, we don't know this according to Scripture. We're not certain about this according to Scripture because uh, Joseph, what we do know, was only 17 years old when this, around the time when this happened. So we don't know his history. But what we can deduce is that his brothers called him a dreamer. And I don't know if that's the proper nickname that you would give somebody that only had two dreams. 
You probably give someone that kind of nickname, that kind of moniker, if they're always coming back with a dream. They always have. So he, perhaps he does have a history of people being with them. So his first dream that he has, the Bible teaches us, is that he has these dreams of these sheaves of wheat. And these wheat were in the field. And when he came into the field, he said his sheaf stood up. It stood upright. And, his, and the other sheaves that he presumed was his brothers began to bow down at his sheaf. Now, what a sheaf is, is a sheaf is a bundle of wheat. And you've seen this, um, and, and maybe I should have put it up on the screen for you, but what a sheaf is, it's a bundles of, of wheat that are tied together. And... Uh, uh, how many of you grew up in the church of God in Christ? How many of you grew up in the church? You know, on, on the logo, there's a sheaf of wheat. And that's what a sheaf is. It's a, it's a bunch of grains that are just tied up and they're placed uh, in the field until they're gathered up. It was, it's, uh, so he says that, that 12 of those or 11 of those uh, stood up. He is stood up in the middle and they bowed down to him. Now, why would that make any sense to them and what is it that God is trying to tell them about this dream? I want you to see something uh, that first of all you have to take the symbolism of wheat. Wheat in the Bible is a symbol of abundance. It is a symbol of unity. It's a symbol of salvation. When you see a wheat, or when the Bible talks about wheat, the wheat are a representation of the salvation of God. It is a representation of the unity that God expects, and it is a representation of abundance. And what happens now is you have these individual sheaths staying together, and his sheath rises up, and they all kind of bow themselves down, and instead of being 11 separate, 12 separate sheaths, they become one unit of sheets. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And this is what he's trying to get, to, to get us to understand. The Kabbad Center helped us understand something about what he was trying to, to share. He was not so much trying to share that his brothers, uh, and many of us know the end of the story, that he would eventually be the second in command in Egypt and his brothers would come and cry at his feet. They were not necessarily trying to give the story of what would happen 40 years later when his brothers bowed and, and cried at his feet. That wasn't particularly what God was trying to, to express to him. What God was trying to express to them is that, is that together you guys become a unity. But, you, but there won't be uh, the kind of abundance that I want to give you if you're 12 separate sheaths. So when they came together, the abundance that he saw, the unity that he saw, the togetherness that he saw represented what God was trying to do, watch this, not in just Joseph's life, but in his family's life. And his family had come together and they understood who they were in the space and God was able to bless the whole family because they understood who they were in the dream. Are you following what I'm saying? This is his secular dream. This is the dream God gave him. The second dream that God gave him is, it was more spiritual in nature. Is that he said that he saw the sun and the moon 
and he saw 11 stars bowing down to him. The sun and the moon by classical interpretation of his mother and his father and the 11 stars are his 11 brothers. And we understand that at his face that, uh, that this is perhaps the way his brothers interpreted the dream. But this was not just a natural dream. This was God telling it to him in the spirit. And isn't it funny that God gives us, when he's ready to give us messages, he gives us messages in the natural and in the spirit. Like he'll bring somebody in the natural to talk to you, but he'll mess with you all night in your dreams so that you can know that he's also in both dimensions, he is echoing what he believes about your life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Is this helping anybody this morning? His second dream is not just about his mother and his father and his 12 brothers, but remember, Joseph was a Christ type. He was a type of Christ. What does that mean? Is that Joseph was, um, uh, he was a symbol that Jesus would later uh, recognize that this guy was kind of like me. And if you want to know who I am, look at Joseph and the way that jo God did Joseph. And Joseph was a type of Christ or a type of person, uh, a type of, of Savior in the earth. He wasn't the Savior, but he was a type. So now this becomes the spiritual conversation that God is having with him. First, it was a natural conversation dealing with sheaves and with grain. Now it's a spiritual conversation because the son represented to everyone, it represented the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that was preached. The moon was a representative of the law of Moses. And the stars uh, were always, particularly the number 11, or the number 12 rather, represented the 12 disciples or the 12 that followed Christ, which would eventually be the cornerstone of the Christian church. So now what God is doing is, is he is saying that, uh, Joseph is saying that I, who is in the middle, and the law of Moses, and the gospel that is preached, and the cornerstone of the church are all bowing down to me. Are you, are you hearing what is happening now? Now, who are we? Who are those that have believed in the law? Who are those that have accepted the gospel? Who are those that, have, uh, 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 that are the cornerstone of the church? They are the family of God. So what God is trying to get them to see is that uh, when, when, when there is a, a place of humility and a place of understanding where you belong, that there can be tremendous power when the family of God comes together and is in a unity, a bundle, and what God can do through his family is what the devil doesn't want to see. All right? The enemy doesn't want to see what God can do when his family is working together, when his body is working together. He does not, now, consequently, the devil don't want to see what can happen when your family is acting like God's family. The devil doesn't want to see your family functioning the way God's family functions. Because when God's family functions, the devil is defeated every time he tries. And when your family functions, same results. The devil gets defeated every time he tries. So family becomes important. What is all of these dreams saying about God? I want you to understand this. If you're taking notes, write this down. What are these dreams telling us about God? What is telling us about God is that, that family matters to God. God ma family matters to God. When God created Adam, he told Adam it's not good for you to be alone. He gives Adam a wife and those two together become a family. 
They are married and they are family. Then they have children and their children become extensions of their family. And watch this. And every promise God tries to get to you, he gave it to somebody in your family first. I'm going to help somebody in here. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. When God gets ready to bless the children of Adam and Eve, God blesses Adam and Eve first before their children are blessed. And their job is to pass down the blessing that God gave to them to their children. So, the, so every blessing is imminent. If you want to know how blessed you are, if you want to know what God has given to you, if you want to know what God has placed over your life, all you've got to do is start asking questions about your family. Because your family is going to tell you what your competencies are. Your family is going to tell you what you offer this world. Your family and the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You do not have a set of gifts that didn't already exist in your family. Are you hearing what I'm trying to tell you? You don't have a mindset that didn't already exist in your family. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Is this, is this helping anybody this morning? Is that you don't have to like them. You can hate them. You can be dis, dis, separated from them. There can be a breakdown in it. But the reality is, is that that is what the devil wants to have happen. He wants there to be breakdowns so that you'll never go and ask, who am I? Because if you ever find out who you are, then you can start operating the, God, the way that God always saw you. So he wants there to be breakdowns between you and your dad, between you and your spouse, between you and your children. He wants there to be strife all the time. Because if he can destroy the family, he can keep you from knowing who you are. Because when a person knows who they are, they're hard to stop. They're hard to stop. And the blessings, the Bible says that he would bless us. And how does that bless? He says, I'll bless you and your children and your children's children. Even that if you disobey, I'll curse you and your children and your children's children. Even down into the fourth generation. God is out. He is passing his blessing line through the family. And you do not receive a blessing that doesn't come from your family. I'm going to help you in here. So what, so what has God done with the family? God has made covenant with your family. What is covenant? Covenant is not just a promise. It is a solemn promise. It is the promise that God makes on himself concerning your family. When God looked at the family and God created the name that would go with your family and, your, and he meant for it to be perpetuated until he comes back again, God gave a set of promises to your family line. Your last name, your bloodline has some promises attached to it. Your last name and your bloodline has some protections attached to it. Your last name and your bloodline has your identity attached to it. Why y'all looking at me like that? But you don't know who my mama is, but I know how your God set this thing up. And I don't have to know who your mother is, and I don't have to know who your dad is. All I've got to know is the system of God. And if I operate with the system of God, there can be some blessings that you have been forfeiting because we have refused to relock in with our families. Somebody shout family. Somebody shout family. Somebody shout family. I will, the family is, is, is so critical to God that within the line of family, God put the abundance of the entire family in it. 
When God put the abundance of the entire fam, God put the, God put the abundance. But pastor, you know, I, am, I don't have family and I am who God has said that I am. And, and all of that, you do. You've got the image of God all over you. In fact, every human being has the image of God all over you. But you can't use having the image of God all over you when you got your mama's attitude. Okay, I'm going to talk to this side over here. Y'all more spiritual. Y'all more spiritual. I got the image of God all over me. Why do I have to connect? Because, because now I identify with God, but you got your daddy's, you know, slothfulness all over you. See, and, and while you know that you are made in the image of God, God doesn't eradicate what he has put in your DNA. He put, you, he put something in your DNA so that you might come to know him in creative and in new ways. And every blessing that is in your DNA is an easy way for you to know God. But watch this. But every brokenness in your DNA is for you to know God in another way. And you don't get to bypass the stuff that God put in your bloodline because God didn't do that on accident. I'm, I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna help you. God didn't do that on accident. Now you might have got here by somebody's accident, but it wasn't an accident to God that you got here. You know, somebody might have looked and said, oh my God, I can't believe we, we pregnant. But God was not in heaven saying, oh my God, I can't believe that she's pregnant. God said that I don't care whether they agree with me or disagree with me. It's time for this person to come into the earth and whether they want to do it the right way or do it the wrong way, I plan for God. Y'all are not, not talking back to me. Your family might not have wanted you, but God did want you. They may have been thrown off that you were brought here, but God was not thrown off that you, were got, that you got here. And part of the job of the believer is to reconcile families. Reconcile families. Reconcile families. Who am I? What is wrong? I don't want to get out in front of myself. I don't want to get out in front of myself. So now, what takes place now is that God has, uh, 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 God has, has, he, he has put his family in the earth, and he expects his family to walk in the purposes of the reason why he created family. I told you earlier that God didn't just create family so we can have barbecues on the holidays. God didn't just create families so we can have people to talk about. God didn't just create families for lovemaking. God didn't just create families so that we can have babies. God had an intentional purpose in the earth when he thought about families. He thought about this would be the way that my testimony would be passed down. That's why he told him the book of the law, you shall med you shall, it shall be on your mouth and you shall meditate on it day and night. He said that you may be able to do all that is within it. And then he said, tell it to your children. This is important, is that through the family is where, is where morality is passed down. Through the family is where ethic is passed down. Through the family is where the law and the word of God is passed down. Through the family, watch this, is where reconciliation practice takes place. Is that every family has some level of dysfunction because God meant for every family to have some level of dysfunction. There can be no forgiveness without, without dysfunction. There can be no reconciliation without brokenness. There can be no long suffering without some some issues in a family and God gave you family so you can practice the fruits of the Holy Spirit before you go out in a world that don't have to sit at the kitchen table and deal with you again somebody shout family somebody shout family your family is the key to your wealth your family is the key to your wealth 
the larger majority of men and women that are considered uh, across this globe that are considered uh, uh, underneath the poverty line are people that are a part of broken families. Because the family is key, to, is key to your wealth. But they talk about one of the value systems of the most wealthiest families in the world. And one of the things that are, the most, that, are, uh, that are consistent with some of the most wealthiest people in this world that this world has ever known is that they were married and they stayed married. Y'all are not talking back to me in here. I wish I had some help in here. Uh, another, wealth, another, wealth genera- another thing that is a wealth nugget is that most people that are wealthy are not first generation wealthy. They became wealthy because the family built more family and built more family and built more family. And the compound accumulation of families that stayed together created wealthy lines and wealthy generations. So you can't get mad at Mr. Walmart because he's wealthy. Mr. and Ms. Walton, the third and fourth generation wealthy. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Am I helping anybody in here? And God meant for family to be the, the key. How is it? Why is it that all of these great minds would take on the same jobs as their families? Why would a father who is a farmer become a farmer? Why would a father who is an agriculturalist become an agriculturalist? Why is a woman who is a homemaker become a homemaker? Why? Because, they, because when God put them in the earth, God saw them doing things and participating in the earth in a particular way. And the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. So what happens is that the child takes on the gift sets of the father and begins to build on what the father built. And this, the competencies and the gifts that go hand in hand help produce a sense of purpose and a sense of wealth for a family. Jesus was a carpenter the same way his daddy was a carpenter. Somebody shout family. All right. So now we've got to start to have faith for the families. Because when God thought about your family, he didn't think about them broke. He didn't think about your family ruined. He didn't think about your family in strife all the time. When he thought about your family, he thought about your family showing the world how to love and forgive. He thought about your family being being a family that could endure through difficult times. When he thought about your family, he thought about showing the world how how powerful unity is. When he thought about your family, he thought about a a lineage and a, a line of worshipers that would build and teach others how to worship, who would have children to teach them how to worship and the church would never have to worry about having worshipers because we'd be a family of worshipers somebody shout family when God thought about your family he thought about places you could take all of your issues to everybody that has issues is always saying don't nobody understand me your family understands you y'all are not talking back to me in here they are the only ones that get you They might not get your problem, but they get you. I wish I had some help in here. I remember, I remember I was, uh, I was going through, we were going through the, the, the worst uh, moments of, our, of my divorce at the time. And I was really struggling with some things. And, you know, I was keeping it as light as I could keep it. Big smile, all this good stuff. Went home, uh, hung out for a little bit. My dad wasn't home when I went home. Uh, and I came back and he kept calling me. He called me all the time. And I said, Dad, you know, everything is good. I'm, I'm pushing on through. Everything is good. Years later, we get on the other side of it. I'm much healthier.
healthier and I'm doing good and I'm doing better. And we're reminiscing on the time. And he was telling me how much he was praying for me. And I said, well, God, well, Dad, I really appreciate, uh, I really appreciate that you were praying for me. You know, a lot of people uh, had, had me in prayer at the time. And it's great to know that my parents were praying for me. And he was like, no, 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 no. I was praying for you different than everybody else was praying for you. Say, Dad, what prayer could you say that was different than anybody else's prayer that you could say? He said, son, you came from me. He said, I know, y'all not talking back to me. He, he said, everybody think you crying because you're heartbroken. He said, I know you're crying because you're embarrassed. Y'all not talking back to me. He said, everybody think you're crying because, he said, I know you, I know, he said, because I know you. And, and here's the thing, is that if we ever understand, I could have saved thousands of dollars on therapy if I would have just picked up the phone and called my fan. Y'all are not... If I just picked up the phone and called my family, I don't want you to judge me right now. I just want to be able to lay on the couch at mama's house. I want to eat some chitlins and have some hot sauce on them and put a little mustard. Y'all are not talking back to me. And I want to be loved by people that know me. Somebody shout family. Somebody shout family. That's why God said, come unto me, all you that are weary and late, and I'll give you rest. Why? Because I know you. You my family. So we got to have faith for the family. The question is, can my family work again? Can it work again when it's been through? Can it work again when it's broken? Can my dream that has turned into a nightmare become a dream again? And this is where we we talk because not only we're going to be releasing faith for many things over the next uh, 30 days, but we're going to release faith for our families. I said we're going to release faith for family. See, that you've got to that you you got to see uh, from Joseph's life that as it relates to faith, excuse me. Here's something that uh, three ways that we're going to release faith. Three ways for you to release faith for your family to keep your dreams from becoming a nightmare. If you're a note taker, I want you to take these notes down. Uh, here's the first thing that you have to do. You have to manage jealousy and envy. Uh-huh. If we're going to release faith for our families to operate and to function the way God intended for them to function, you're going to have to release jealousy and you're going to have to release envy. Um, uh, jealousy and envy become, uh, they, they are the thing that undercuts everything that has been built. There are not many things more dangerous than a jealous and an envious spirit. Not many things that are more uh, debilitating to to unity than jealousy. If you're trying to build something, you can't have jealous people around. If you're trying to, to, to do something with your life and do something with your team or do something with your business, there are lots of different kinds of personalities that you can deal with, but you can't deal with somebody that wants to be you. You can't deal with somebody that is envious of the success that God is doing in your life. And what happens in families is oftentimes families have these little petty rivalries that take place within the family and they start to get jealous over who's got what and who's doing what. And what happens now is that Jacob, their father, he is the, he is the object of everybody's affection in that family. Everybody in the family wants to be connected to Joseph, or excuse me, wants to be connected to Jacob. And what happens is that Joseph, who was the last born, gets the favor. His father just liked 
protect him. He just, he just dug him. He was, you know, the, the, the son of my old age. So Joseph was, to the, to the sons, the favored one. So favored that the father gave him a jacket of many colors, which just exemplified many of the processes of what he thought about his son. He saw something in Joseph, not necessarily that he didn't see in his other children. He just saw something different in Joseph than he saw in the rest of his, friend, rest of his children. And what happened is that the siblings did not know how to celebrate difference. The siblings wanted what he had. So they did not see themselves as favored because they thought that the only thing that could get the father's favor was to have what their brother has. But the problem is, is that they could never have what their brother has. They only have what God gave them. And it is an insult to God for you to get jealous over something that God blessed somebody else with. That is like saying, God, you did not do as good a job for me as you did for them. And because of that, watch how jealousy works. I want to be a star in the play of their life. And you don't get to be a star in the movie of my life. Y'all are not talking back to me in here. You don't get to be a star in the movie of my life. You ought to tell your neighbor, you don't get to star in my movie. I, 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 because because I, I paid too much to be the star of this movie. I cried too much. I, I lost too much. I got hurt too much. Y'all are not talking back to me. That's what jealousy is. Jealousy is you do all the crying, I get all the shine. The devil is a lie. The devil is a lie. The devil is a lie. You don't get to have what belongs to me. Watch this. I want you, and, and it'll destroy families. Jealousies create these irrational suspicions. They, they create irrational suspicions, just, just irrational. Yeah, yeah, you know, the family member, you know, uh, she just close to mama because she, she want all the jewels when she die. Like, where do you get that from? She just, y'all, I, I know my family, y'all, am I the only, so you know how, just irrational, that's what jealousy does, just say, the only reason she's over there all the time is she hoping she get the house, the only reason, that's the way, just, just don't make sense, it's like, where you get that from, I got my own house, why well, I need my house, you know, like, like, like them jewels that mama got, you know they ain't real, for real, they, <laughs> you know, but irrational, irrational suspicion. That's why his brothers looked at him and was like, are we going to bow down to you? Are you trying to tell us you're going to be a ruler over us? Is that what you're trying to tell us? No, I'm not trying to tell you you're going to be. What in the world makes you think that I want to be a ruler? I'm the youngest. I understand how this thing works. It's that I'm not telling you I want to be a ruler. You know what I'm trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you that God is saying that we'll have abundance if we can all come together. But y'all are so busy being jealous that dad gave me a jacket that you don't see the bigger thing that God's trying trying to do is that you brought the humor and I brought the cachet and he brought the wealth and we are a family and if we bring it all together we can be something in this earth so you've got to rid yourself of these jealousies and envies that exist in our families here's the second way that we're going to release faith is that we've got to rid ourselves of the pecking order you got to rid yourself of the pecking order. See, one of the reasons why the brothers struggled with this dream was not just because they saw themselves bowed down, but it was an affront to the pecking order of their day. In that day, it was uh, natural that the eldest always was the preferred. 
And the, if, you, if it was a hundred of you guys, the hundredth, the hundredth one was preferred over the 99th. And the 99th was preferred over the 98th. And the 98th was preferred. So if you were all the way down at the end and were number one, you had 99 people that were preferred over you as it related to, uh, as it related to inheritance. This is the way it's supposed to be. And every family has these unwritten pecking orders. You know, you're supposed to be the most responsible because you're the oldest. You're supposed to have a good family because you're the oldest. You're supposed to be married already because you're the senior daughter. You're supposed to, y'all not look at me like that. Because every family got pecking order, got pecking order. And we only do pecking order while it's working for us. You know, it only does pecking order. You're the one supposed to take care of mama. You're the oldest. You the, and we've got all these little pecking orders that take place. They were angry at him, not just because of a dream. It was just a dream. But are you telling me that you're going to usurp the pecking order? And this is the thing, is that if we are family, we're going to have to figure out how we want to succeed in the voice, of, in, the, in the will of God. And in the will of God, the Bible in the New Testament, say there's neither male nor female, no bond nor free, no Jew nor Greek. What is he saying? He's saying that God doesn't look at all the rules that y'all put on your family when he's ready to bless the family. God comes in and says, I'm going to pick the one that I've anointed and everybody's got to fall in line so that I can get something done in this family line. And what these guys didn't understand is that when it comes to family, you don't have time to be jealous and you've got to get rid of this pecking order because we got stuff we got to do in this house and in this earth am I talking to anybody in here and can I tell you something for some of y'all that's at the bottom this is why I love God is that God said one day the first shall be last and the last shall be first so I might be one right now and you might be a hundred but when God turns that thing around I'm gonna be in the front y'all are not talking back to me this is the way God wants to move in your family. But if the pecking order and the mama didn't say it, we can't do it. And if poppy didn't say it, then it can't happen. And if big brother didn't say it, then we're not going to move on it. The devil is a lie. My little brother spent half his adult life in college to be as smart as he is. We're sitting at the kitchen table talking about communicating nationally. Now, my brother is a professor in communications. He works for Apple. They hired him and paid him a lot of money for their external communication and we are sitting at the table arguing how the nation should best communicate their ideals and we sat back for a second and he just sat and listened to all of us make a plum fool of ourselves talking about how the world should communicate the United States should communicate itself to the world and it dawned on us maybe we should ask the one who is the youngest by birth, watch that, but the smartest by assignment, what should happen? And he just sat back and waited, and he just made everything we said sound super elementary because we was thinking out of flesh, and he was operating out of a different kind of knowledge. But that is the way that God is trying to move families. Can you imagine your little brother having a wisdom that could change the whole family, and the only thing it costs you is humility? Y'all, I wish I had some help in here. Can you imagine your child having the key to for generational and financial wealth or debt freeness for the family and all it costs you is your humility? 
son, could you imagine all you got to do is just keep your mouth shut and stop saying, I'm mama. I'm, I'm, you can't tell me how to. I've been doing I helped this family together for 40 years. Who you think you are coming in here trying to tell me? I'm the guy that you sent to college to learn how to do this stuff. And the, you sent me to college to learn how to do it, not just so that my sheets can stand, but so all of our sheets can stand. And if you'll let me, we can do this as a family. Number three, and here's the final thing. I want you to put this down in mind. Write this down. Write this down. Write this down. My God, I could spend some time on pecking order. Because <laughs> God doesn't move in a pecking order. He moves in a purpose order. I'm going to say that again. He doesn't move in per pecking order. He moves in purpose order. And of all the people that should have got that, Jacob should have got it. <laughs> because Jacob was the second, not the first. And the Bible says in the book of Romans that it was, it was de decreed by God before the two were either being born that the elder shall serve the younger. For Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. That's what your Bible says. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He said, and if Esau going to do something in this family, he's going to have to humble himself and let his brother pull it off. All right. Here's the third thing. Here's the third thing, and I want you to write this down. This is the final thing. Is, is, is as it relates... As it relates to releasing our faith for our family, the third thing and probably perhaps the most important is that we're going to have to ask God to help us assess the meaning of our family. Just to help us assess meaning. And this, this, is, this is critical because uh, uh, it, it's because now it goes to the real meaning and the definition of family. It starts, to, it starts the deep work of asking questions like, God, what does my name mean? What am I supposed to help solve in the earth? Why are we here? Who are we to your plan? This is, this is, this is that conversation that, that you got to grab the family and sit them down at the kitchen table and start reminding that, that we talk like this. And we behave like this. And we are people that work hard. And we are men and women that act in integrity. And we will treat our sister and our mother with respect. And we will honor our brothers and honor our fathers. And we, and, and, and we start to ask these questions of meaning and these moments of meaning no longer, no longer uh, are, are topics of conversation anymore. Is that we just come together and we create families and we move. And as long as the bills are paid, family is happening. No, it's not. No, it's not. Family is happening when, we're, when we are performing God's purpose in the earth. When we are moving according to the way God saw us move. And that's going to require us to ask more questions than God helped me make rent. That's going to require more questions than God help us make this car note. It's going gonna, it's gonna to require us to ask the deep question of God, what can we be? What can we accomplish? And how do we put it together so that your name might be great in the earth? What will people say when they hear the last name? Fletcher, Johnson, Williams. What, what will people say when they come to this region and they, and they hear the last name? What will they say? I want them to say that these were people that found meaning. That they, found a, that they found a purpose 
And all of them moved about the earth in unison with one heartbeat. Looked different, but with one heartbeat. Expressed it differently, but with one rhythm and one harmony. And this is what family is supposed to be about. It is the place of my reconciliation. It is the place of my understanding myself. It is the place of me learning the value systems of the world. It is the place where I can fail and still have my dignity. Because the world is not going to treat you like your family is going to treat you. Am I helping anybody in here? And the challenge, and the challenge that the enemy has the body of Christ in is that our families are as broken as dysfunctional as everybody else's family. Our families are as broken. And we've got all the tools given to us by God to fix family. What not? Yeah. So, so we're in college. And one of the brothers called. He's like, hey, man, I need y'all to come. I need y'all to help me. Uh, my tire is, is jacked up on my car. And I'm down here, I'm right outside of Chicago, which is about an hour and a half from where we were in school. So we jumped in the car, we go down to get to where he is, and we get to the car, and we notice he's got a flat tire. And we go in this trunk, and we pull out the jack, and we pull out the spare tire, and we put it on the side of the road, and I put the jack on the side of the road, and I looked at him, and I said, I should punch you in your mouth. <laughs> and what I do? You've got everything to fix that tire. you got everything to fix your tire. You just didn't use it. And you inconvenienced our world. <laughs> you inconvenienced our world. You tried to, you shifted our world. And here's the thing about God is that God is very different than we were because we, we didn't have the working knowledge. See, God, God doesn't have to move. God would have stayed, stayed at home because he would have knew that you had everything to fix the tire. And sometimes we're screaming to God saying, fix our families. And God saying, you got everything to fix your family. God, God, deliver us, help us. God says, I'm not getting up and coming down there for that. Because I got, all you've got to do is look in the trunk of your hard-headedness. Look in the trunk of your angry heart. Look in the trunk. Y'all are not talking back to me. He said, all you got to do is look deep inside. Because I gave you everything necessary to fix the home. Now, will you release the love I gave you? And will you release the forgiveness? And will you release the reconciliation? And will you release, will you release it? Or is it just going to sit in the trunk of your life and your whole life can be broken? Broken, not going anywhere with the tools in the trunk for you to prosper. Stand to your feet. With the tools in the trunk. With the yes, sir, pop the trunk. Touch your neighbor, say pop the trunk. Stuck going nowhere. With a tire and a jack in the trunk. Wasted everybody's time. With a tire and a jack in the trunk. Play something really soft, sir. We can do this. You can do this.
And it doesn't always come easy. And it might not come right away for some of us. Because some things are deep, some things are, are, are older than you, some things you were brought into. But what if you're the Joseph of your household? What if the favor on your life is not just so that you can be who you've become? But what if the favor that's on your life is a favor that can bring back your family so that everybody can share in the greatness that God is going to take you to? I want to pray for families. Maybe it's not your family. Maybe it is your family. Maybe it is you and your immediate family. Maybe it's down the line somewhere. Maybe there's a rift, but you're saying, Pastor T, I want to I pray. I want you to come to the front now. Let's take a few moments and let's just pray.